All right. Thank you, worship team. If you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Obviously, now that Thanksgiving's over, if we haven't already, we begin to look forward to Christmas. We begin to uh, turn our thoughts toward the gift of God's Son. And we see that reflected in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. And so I just want to read that one verse uh, for us this morning. It's right at the end of Paul's discussion of a gift to the poor saints in Jerusalem. He's talking to the Corinthians and he's encouraging them to give, to meet the needs of the poor believers in Jerusalem, and he ties their practical financial gifts uh, to poor believers to the gift of Jesus, to the gift of God's Son. And so he ends that whole discussion with this one verse where he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so this morning what I'd like to uh, do is answer the question, how should we then give Christmas gifts? Now that might seem like a little, um, oh, what would you call it? A um, little less important than some other aspects of Christmas. But the reality is um, most of us spend a lot of time on the issue of gift giving. And therefore, it's very important for us to really think about how our gift giving at Christmas time is related to the ultimate gift of God's Son. And ask ourselves whether or not we even have a theology of giving Christmas gifts. Do we have a biblical view of what we're doing and why we're doing it when we spend so much time giving gifts? Some of us may have already started taking advantage of Black Friday, which comes right after uh, Thanksgiving. Some of us may have already started even before Thanksgiving because in our culture, Christmas starts about the day after Halloween, if not before. And so for a lot of people, the gift-giving aspect of Christmas has already begun, and it's not a bad thing, although we might think it is a bad thing in and of itself. So what I do want to do is to have us think about this a little bit this morning. And first of all, just to think about Christmas um, in general as well as the gift-giving part of it. Because when we think about Christmas, we have to ask the question, is there a biblical way to think about Christmas and gift-giving? Is there a way that God looks at it? I mean, that's what it means to say, is there a biblical way to look at it? It means, how do I look at this? from God's perspective, because that's what's important, right? If we're living to please the Lord, then we want to do that uh, in a way that uh, certainly pleases him. And the Bible encourages us, um, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, which means celebrate Christmas to the glory of God, give gifts to the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 16, it says that all that you do be done in love, which means celebrate Christmas in a way that is loving. It means give gives gifts, give gifts in a way that is loving from God's perspective. It says in Galatians 2, Paul says, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me, which means 
all that I do, all my life I live in light of the gift of God's Son who, who died for me, who gave his life for me. So how do you do that in giving gifts? How do you give by faith in Jesus? Um, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 also, not to be children in our thinking, uh, yet in evil be infants, but in our thinking we're to be mature. So how do we think maturely about Christmas and about gift givings? And then finally, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If indeed Christmas is a good thing and giving gifts are a good gift or a good thing, then the Bible is meant to equip us to do that in a way that honors God. Um, so we want to be Christian-like in our gift giving, right? We want to ask the question, how can I give gifts like a Christian? That's the whole point. Uh, secondly, uh, we might just want to take a minute to ask the question, should we be doing this at all, though? And there are Christians in history that have questioned whether or not we should be doing this at all. And I would say, yes, we should. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And Christmas can and should be a way that we say, thank you, God, for your indescribable gift. Um, as we sang about this morning, the angels appeared on the night that Jesus was born. And it says, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Uh, heaven celebrated at the birth of Christ. Why shouldn't we celebrate at the birth of Christ too? Um, it is fitting. It's not commanded in Scripture, but it is certainly fitting. And we see in the Old Testament where God actually commanded his people to celebrate his goodness in various ways. There were times, for instance, when they had the, um, the first fruits that were brought in from the fields. God actually commanded them to have a feast. He said, you and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you and your household. So God commanded a celebration of his goodness. And certainly in the gift of God's son, we see God's greatest goodness to us. So it is fitting, it's not commanded, but it's certainly fitting for us to do that or to do this. Now there are some people that question the origins like the Christmas tree or other things about it. And they say, well, December 25th was actually the celebration of a pagan holiday, uh, the, um, the solstice, and all this sort of thing. And so it's wrong, inherently wrong, to have a Christmas tree or to celebrate Christmas on December 25th because it all has pagan origins. Well, we talked about recently the fact that Paul told the Corinthians at one point, buy meat in the meat market and don't ask any questions. Eat meat. Uh, unbeliever's house and don't ask any questions. Why? Because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. All of it is God's and all of it can be used in the worship of God as long as it's not in the middle of pagan worship. As long as it's not actually in a part of a sinful, inherently sinful deed. And so we can rightly use in our celebration Christmas trees and other things that may have been used in pagan worship but aren't inherently sinful. 
they can still be used to honor God, music and all those things. But there are some ditches on this road, and, and this is what a lot of people struggle with. Well, what about the commercialism of, Christ, of Christmas? Um, well, there's no doubt that there is that ditch. And on the other side of the road, there's the ditch of just condemning any expression of celebration of the birth of Christ. The wise men uh, celebrated the birth of Christ by giving gifts. And that is part of the reason why we do what we do. It says, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, obviously, we can't give gifts to Jesus, but if we can give gifts to each other in worship of Christ, that truly is a celebration of God's gift to us. Commercialism in Christmas is making material things the gift that Christmas is all about. And it's implying that life and happiness is found in things. And that is wrong. And so if we hope for life and happiness in what we get materially, then yes, we've fallen into the commercialism, which is idolatry. And yes, that is something to be avoided. That is something to run away from. That's why Jesus said, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So yes, if we are idolizing material things in our Christmas celebration, then we're in a ditch. But the other ditch is to condemn the celebration of Christmas altogether seeing it at best as a burden and a waste of time and a distraction from the true celebration of Christ's birth. Or at worst, it is wrong and spiritually dangerous to set aside a day to feast and give material gifts in order to celebrate the ultimate gift. The Puritans at one point, not all the Puritans, but at one point in their history, the Puritans canceled Christmas in certain instances. In England, after the English Revolution, they would arrest pastors they preached on Christmas Day. Um, In Massachusetts, there was a law against keeping Christmas, and they would fine you what today would be about $48 if you celebrated Christmas. And the reason why they did that was because for for secular uh, unbelievers, Christmas was just a day of debauchery. It's a day just to sort of like Mardi Gras in my home state. It was about just having a good time and going to excess and doing things that were not pleasing in the sight of God and not a celebration of God's gift. And so they opposed it uh, for those things. But the abuse of something and the misuse of something doesn't deny the right use of it. And so there is a right way that we can celebrate Christmas, and it does center around the worship of God's gift to us. And we should do that. Um, there is a quote from Richard Baxter where he says, we need to guard our lives against the love of riches and worldly cares. All love for earthly goods, however, is not a sin. Their sweetness is a drop of his love, speaking of God's love, and they have his goodness, God's goodness imprinted on them. They kindle our love for him as love tokens from our dearest friend. Loving them is a duty not a sin. 
So what is he talking about there? He's talking about the fact that if we take the idea that involving earthly goods in the celebration of the ultimate gift of Jesus is inherently wrong, then we've embraced the idea that really all that God said was good is inherently bad now. And we shouldn't ever give gifts. In fact, we shouldn't have anything if it's inherently bad. And he says, really, uh, to honor the giver of all good things is, is to actually appreciate what we've been given and to bless others with what we've been given as well. And to see in the gifts we receive and the gifts we give his love, his goodness in it all. And so I want, for the time that I have left, just to answer the question, how should we give Christmas gifts? And the first thing is to say, give as if gift giving is good. Why is that? Because God gives gifts. Okay? So gift giving can't be inherently bad if it's something that God does. In fact, in the um, passage where Paul talks about the ultimate gift, he says in Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver, which means God loves givers. Why? Because God is a giver. And so the whole argument there in Second Corinthians 8 and 9 is God is pleased when we give because he's a giver. He loves to give. And giving is a good deed. Paul can say... God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Giving is a good deed, and we're to abound in good deeds as Christians. And so we should not see the idea of giving gifts at Christmas time as a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And Jesus even says in Matthew 7, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? The Lord Jesus highlights the fact that uh, even unbelievers, all of us naturally have an impulse to give. And we have an idea in our minds that we're to give good things not bad things. And someone has said, um, Doug Wilson wrote a brief theology of Christmas presents. And he said in there, it appears that God has embedded deep within mankind an impulse to give gifts whenever we are celebrating. And so he he highlights the scripture in Revelation where uh, when the two witnesses are killed, the world celebrates by sending gifts to each other. That's unbelievers. But he also highlights in Esther, when the Jews are rescued from being destroyed, how they uh, celebrate and they actually proclaim the Feast of Purim. And it says uh, that it was to be a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So he highlights the fact that gift giving is something that comes very naturally in one sense to want to give good gifts and to want to give 
when we're celebrating something, how much more for us who have received the greatest gift of all should we not give gifts in celebration of God's good to us? So gift-giving is a good thing. And secondly, we're to give as if the gift is from God because it is. When I give something to someone, it's not just from me. Even though I might put on the little tag, to so-and-so from Earl. I could put in parentheses, really from God. Because that's really who it's from. It says in James chapter 1, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. John 3 says a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? Receive from who? Receive from God is what he means. And so we're to give gifts and we're to receive gifts. Acknowledging the human element or the human instrument, but ultimately tracing it all the way back to God to see the hand of God, as Amal talked about. Samuel Davies said, God is the source of all our blessings. He is the ocean of blessings. Creatures are but the hands which distribute his charity through a needy world. We're just the hand of God, so to speak. We just bless others and they're ultimately blessings from God. And so isn't it fitting that we glorify God and we glorify him, we reveal him as a giver of good things by giving people good things. Uh, Thirdly, we're to give generously. And obviously the indescribable gift that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9 is truly a generous thing. It says in 1 Timothy 6, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Do you believe that? Do you believe God actually gives you uh, things to enjoy? Or do you feel guilty for enjoying things? Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So we're not to set our hope on things, but we are to enjoy them because they're from God. And we are to be generous and ready to share, which means to be generous um, ready to give what we have to others, to bless others. Um, It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, If the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, obviously, God's generosity to us is beyond measure because he has resources that are infinite. Our resources are not infinite. And so what does it mean to be generous when you have finite resources. What if you only have $25 in your bank account? Can you still be generous? Yes. How can you be generous? You're generous because you are ready to give whatever you can give. And you're ready to meet needs and go beyond the need to whatever would be good, whatever would bring them joy, whatever would be a blessing to them, not just the bare minimum, but to go as far as you can go. But it doesn't mean you have to go into debt. It doesn't mean you have to steal from somebody else so that you can give to somebody else. 
like Paul says, we are to give according to what, what we have, but it's the readiness, is the readiness to give present. That's the generosity. God is ready to give. He is ready to forgive. He is ready to bless us. And so he calls us to be like him in that, to be ready to give, ready to meet needs, even to go beyond what people need, and to bless them with things they just enjoy. God doesn't just give us the bare minimum and say, okay, I'm going to give you enough to keep you alive. He blesses us with all kinds of things in a fallen world, things that are just for our pure enjoyment like sunrises and like flowers things that are for our enjoyment, go beyond just what we need. And so to be generous is mainly a heart issue of, do I care to bring good to other people, to meet their needs, but also to bring them joy? And am I willing to do that as much as I can? Or, as Paul says in chapter 8 and 9, be careful of covetousness, that your gift would not be um, hindered by covetousness, which means by your own selfish desires. I have things I want to do with that money for myself, and therefore I don't think I want to spend it on anybody else. And so he says to be careful of that. So giving generously doesn't mean spending beyond your means, but it means having a heart that is ready to bless others. Next, uh, we're to give graciously. Uh, Obviously, God's indescribable gift is a gift of grace. It says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The gift of God is a gift of grace. So the indescribable gift is a gift of grace. And we're to give in light of God's indescribable gift of grace. It says in Luke 6, Love your enemies and do good and lend or give, expecting nothing in return. Apply that for Christmas. Give, nothing, give, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So can we give at Christmas time and be okay if we don't get a gift back? Can we give at Christmas time to people who don't even say thank you in return? Can we give and give cheerfully when those things happen? Um, the Bible calls us to to give to people who don't deserve it. If you only look around and say, who deserves my gift giving? Who deserves my effort and my money? Then the reality is, you don't have anybody to give to this Christmas. You can just cross everybody off your list and cross yourself off too. Uh, John Piper said, every breath we take, every time our heart beats, every day that the sun rises... Every moment we see with our eyes or hear with our ears or speak with our mouths or walk with our legs is, for now, a free and undeserved gift to sinners who deserve only judgment. So be honest with yourself about who you're giving to this Christmas. They only deserve judgment. But be honest this Christmas about yourself, that you only deserve judgment. It's really important because it's hard to be grateful for things you think you deserve. It's very, very hard if you think you're just being paid. You're not actually being given a gift of grace. And so you can think about it in terms of if you, if you get that ugly tie on Christmas or if you get 
socks and underwear and you really wanted an Xbox or something like that, how do you respond when you don't get what you want? Are you genuinely thankful for whatever you get? Am I genuinely thankful for whatever I get? Even if, if it's not exactly what I wanted. Could it be that I think I deserve better? Or am I tempted not to give to certain people? Because I don't think they treated me very well this last year. I don't think my relationship with them is really everything I want it to be. I'm not sure I'm going to reward them with a good gift. Maybe a white elephant gift or something like that. But am I hesitant to give because I don't think people deserve it? Give graciously. Give graciously. Give by grace, not by works. And be like God. That's what he calls us to do. Then, in light of all that, we're to give for the good of others. The indescribable gift of Jesus is certainly for our good. And I mentioned Matthew 7 earlier, where it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, your Father who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? We know how to give good gifts in a sense, and we need to pray for wisdom to really know how to give good gifts in light of what God says is truly good. But giving a good gift isn't simply saying, what, um, what do they really need? And only giving what they need. You know, I think they really need, you know, pots and pans. Now, that's not to say it's wrong to give pots and pans, and that might be really what they want. That might be a great blessing. But if somebody wants something less practical, is it wrong to give less practical gifts? Is it wrong just to give something that you know will bring them joy, will bring them a blessing, that they'll actually enjoy it? God does it all the time, and we should too. So giving what is good is both Practically what they need and can use, but also what brings them joy. The word for grace actually in its root means that which brings joy. To give graciously is to seek the joy of the other person. And that may be the joy of, wow, you met a need I really had, or wow, you just gave me something that I really delight in. Either way, we're to seek to give what is good. Next, give gladly. Um, as I mentioned before in 2 Corinthians 9, says says, God loves a cheerful giver. What does that say about God? Does he ever call us to do anything that he doesn't do in some sense? No. That means God is never a reluctant, um, grudging giver. Okay, this time. This time I'll give it to you. You better shape up, checking my list, checking it twice. Better watch out. I'm going to see if you're naughty or nice. No, uh, God gives cheerfully. When he gives, he gives cheerfully. He's not a begrudging giver. Ever. Ever. Anything you've received from God, he's given it to you with a smile. He's never given it reluctantly. He's given it cheerfully and he calls us to do the same thing and he calls us to remember that we're we're not 
shortchanging ourselves. Sometimes, you know, we can think, you know, if I give this, then I won't have that money to do something else with it. You know, they'll be blessed, but what about me? Um, They'll get the good thing, but what do I get? And none of us would probably say that out loud, but our hearts tend to sometimes go there in different ways. And that's why Jesus could say things like, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What does it mean to be more blessed to give than to receive? As someone has said, it means that in giving, you receive more than in giving. In giving, you receive more than in giving. Did I say? All right, let me say that again. I don't know what he was talking about, actually. Um, It is more blessed to receive by giving than to receive by receiving. Okay, maybe I should just read it. It might be better. And so the Lord is telling us that you, you don't get the short end of the stick when you're a giver. By being generous, by being a cheerful giver, that means you ex- actually expect good to come to you. As Blaise Pascal said, everything we do, we pursue our own happiness in it. And if you don't think you're pursuing your happiness in giving, you won't give, or you'll give grudgingly, because you have to, because everybody's expecting you to give at the family get-together. But you won't give happily, you won't give cheerfully, you won't give gladly unless you actually believe that in giving you're receiving. Um, That's why the Lord Jesus in Luke 14 could say, you know, when you invite people over, invite people at times that can't pay you back. And he says, you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know, one of the things that happens at Christmas time is we spend a lot of time trying to figure out gifts to buy, decorating, um, either throwing Christmas parties or going to Christmas parties. We spend a lot of time, and it's very easy to bemoan all the effort of Christmas. And we just want to get through it. And we see all the effort of Christmas as being somehow something to bemoan. Well, the question is, is that really the way to look at it? Should our celebration of Christ cost us something? Is it wrong that it costs us something? Is it wrong that doing good to other people actually costs us something? What are we bemoaning? Are we bemoaning honoring Christ? Are we bemoaning giving good to other people? What are we bemoaning about the busyness of the Christmas season? Now, that's not to say there aren't some things about it that maybe fall into the category of commercialism or things that are truly distracting to us. But if we're pursuing the good of other people for the glory of Christ in this season, let us not let the cost of it all Keep us from doing it gladly. It is truly in giving that we receive. And we have to trust God for that, believe God for that. Which brings me to another aspect of um, this whole 
Christmas season that's important, and that's to not only give gladly, but give gratefully. Now, you might think that that means be grateful that you're able to give. That's part of it. Uh, be grateful that you're able to give a certain thing to a certain person. Well, that's certainly part of it. But actually, it's about being grateful before you give, being grateful for what you've already received. Have you ever thought about the importance of Thanksgiving as a holiday to prepare you for Christmas? Maybe you should think about the fact that in God's providence, he's given us a holiday called Thanksgiving that we might appropriately celebrate Christmas. And what do I mean by that? Well, in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 8, again, Paul reminds us of the grace of God when he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What is he saying? He's basically arguing that your giving ought to be rooted in gratefulness for what God has given you. He's reminding them of Jesus. He's reminding them of the gift of Jesus. And he says, let that gift of Jesus motivate you to give to others. There's a godly man named William Law who said, Would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives most alms or is most eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice. But it is he who is always thankful to God, who wills everything that God wills, who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. So he says, what is the basis, in a sense, for all those other things? Not that those other things aren't good and right and proper. He's basically arguing that Uh, A heart that's thankful to God is the foundation for all these things. Uh, Doug Wilson talks about the fact that those who oftentimes um, have the most difficulty receiving gifts are those who are the most proud, even though we might not acknowledge that. I can certainly see that in my life in different ways. He says it is frequently the case that when people have real trouble in receiving help from others or gifts in that context, it is because of a hidden root of pride. God has given us our joy in receiving as a valuable indicator of how much joy for others we should seek in how we give to others. So what he's saying is that we should actually work on being a good receiver if we want to be a good giver. He says, one of the disciplines you should set before yourself this Christmas in learning how to give is the discipline of setting your mind to rejoice in every gift you receive, every last one. Receive them with gladness. Receive them with gratitude. Receive them with humility. Because he says, true receivers are being equipped to give. Actually, um, Joe Rigney says the same thing in his book, uh, The Things of Earth. He says, this receiving leads to greater giving dynamic is exactly what I've discovered in my life. My experience is that grateful and glad-hearted reception of gifts doesn't undermine generosity, it increases it. It's possible to receive a gift and hoard it, but when a gift is received as it is meant to be, 
gratefully, cheerfully, happily, it has the effect of enlarging the soul and overflowing outward in lavish giving. Having experienced the joy of receiving, we seek to spread this experience to others, to give concrete gifts that meet real needs, to give thoughtful gifts that satisfy long-held desires, to give surprising gifts that awaken unanticipated delight. Before you can be a lavish giver, you must first be an eager and grateful receiver. And so I think that's a great goal to say this Christmas, God help me to be grateful for every gift I receive, what I've, what I've received already and what I will receive, and use it, Father, to make me a better giver, that I would seek to fulfill the golden rules, so to speak, to do unto others as I would have them do unto me, uh, to seek to bless others as I have been blessed, to seek others um, and know the joy that I've known as well. Then let me uh, come to the last part. This focuses especially on 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. Give and remembrance of the gift. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So the point of this point has been all the things we talk about are reflected in God's gift to us. That all the gifts we give at Christmas time are meant in some sense to be a celebration of the ultimate gift. And therefore, um, in our gift giving, we are to remember God's gift of his son. And so it behooves us to think a little bit about uh, this indescribable gift and why it is just that. Another way to express uh, what Paul says there, it could be translated, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, or thank God for this gift to wonderful for words. And obviously we know that gift is what it's, is talked about in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, as I said before, the context of this verse is giving practically, giving money, giving support to the believers in Jerusalem. And therefore, Paul is saying, in principle, that all of our giving is to be somehow rooted in a celebration of what God has given us. I mentioned earlier the idea of grace. That word thanks is actually the word for grace. We have saved, been saved by grace through faith. It actually is grace be to God. But obviously, we're not talking about showing grace to God, not giving God an undeserved favor. The idea there is, as it's linked to the idea that the word grace is tied to that which brings joy. And what Paul appears to be saying here is, let us rejoice freely and without boundaries because of the boundless gift of God's Son. Let us rejoice, let us give thanks without boundaries because of the boundless gift that God has given to us in his son. Doug Lewis talks about the fact that um, we celebrate the incarnation, the prerequisite gift that enabled God to give us the even greater gift of the crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus was born to die and all of this birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension 
was given for us men and for our salvation. Provided we remember why we are doing it, it is entirely fitting that we give Christmas gifts to one another. It would be weird and strange if we did not do so. So let's think about the indescribable aspect of God's gift that is to motivate and be the foundation for our giving this Christmas. To be indescribable means not that you can't describe it at all, but that it is beyond adequate description, that we can't adequately describe the gift that God has given. And that is why, number one, because this gift is given to us by a God who is beyond what we can comprehend. The very giver of this gift is incomprehensible. Um, In Judges, uh, the angel of the Lord asked the question, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? In Job, it says, speaking of God who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. Also, it says in Job, God thunders with his voice, wondrously doing great things which we cannot comprehend. Then David says in Psalms, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, a joy beyond what I can comprehend. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. It also says in Psalm, great, Psalms, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Romans 11 O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And so the reason why the gift of God is so indescribable is because of the giver. And we worship God in celebrating the gift. But secondly, it is indescribable because of the grace and love involved in it that we can't even fully measure the God who gives the gift, nor can we fully measure the love and the grace that are behind the gift and involved in the gift. In Ephesians 3, Paul could say that his prayer for the Ephesians uh, was that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner, inner man so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So Paul prays that we would know what we cannot know, meaning that we would know more of what has no bounds, that is a surpassing love for us, an incomprehensible love and incomprehensible grace. John could say, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. There's a sense in which uh, eternity will be God sh- showing us what that love looks like. And we will never reach the end of it. He'll be saying, let me give you a tour of my love. And that tour will last forever and ever. The third thing that's indescribable about this gift is the condescension and suffering involved. We can't fully comprehend what it was like for God to become a man and then to die on a cross and to bear the fierce fierce wrath of God in our place. We cannot understand that. That's why, again, Paul in this passage could say, 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and we can't even fully understand what all that means, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. In Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when Jesus says, My Father, if it is impossible, let this cup pass from me, we have no clue, really, what that cup held. But he knew, and he drank it down to the last drop for you and me. Finally, the blessings purchased for us are beyond what we can comprehend. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, Things which eye has not seen and, or, and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. It says in Ephesians 2, That God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have really no idea what all God has planned for us. We have an idea, but we really have no idea. We have a taste, but these things are just shadows of the substance. And therefore, it's beyond our comprehension. It's indescribable, all that God has planned for us. But it centers around knowing God. It centers around enjoying God. Jonathan Edwards could say, The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. So essentially, the indescribable gift of God is God. He gives himself to us. He gave his son for us that he might give himself to us, that we might be fully and forever satisfied. And in our gift giving and in our celebration of Christmas, we are to taste a little bit of the goodness of the God we will one day feast upon fully and forever. And that's why, in conclusion, Doug Wilson could say, so this is something all of us must learn. The material world is good. The material world is very good. The stupidity of our sinfulness and rebellion tried to wreck it, but despite our best efforts, we have not yet succeeded. The world is broken, but still with plenty of goodness to go around. He says, what is the new covenant supposed to be like? How did Isaiah describe it? And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make for all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. That's in Isaiah. That sounds like a good Christmas dinner, the kind you need to shop for. 
So as you bake and as you shop and as you wrap and as you smuggle contraband into the house and as you decorate the tree and as you set the table and as you invite people over and as you deliver cookies to friends and as you tighten your belts this year and as you give a lavish gift that is perhaps 5% beyond wise and as you laugh over dinner and as you gather to sing carols, remember that Christ is in all of it. And indeed, it is for him in all of it. If you would bow your heads with me and let's pray. As we pray, let me just ask two questions. One question is, will you be giving in a way that glorifies God this Christmas? Will you be giving in a way that glorifies God this Christmas, that celebrates the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus? Will it be giving in, in light of how he's given to us, as we've talked about this morning? And if not, how do we need to pray that God would help us give like a Christian, uh, give in celebration of the greatest gift, to give it away that glorifies the God who gave his son graciously, gladly for us? And the next question is, Will you be celebrating the birth of the Savior this Christmas? In other words, have you received the gift that has been provided for us in Christ? Are you a Christian? You can't give a gift as a Christian or like a Christian if you're not a Christian. And so have you received the gift? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God calls us turn from our sin and to receive that gift, to receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and to receive him as the greatest gift of all. Father, I pray that you would help us to see where we are this morning in our lives in relationship to the gift, your indescribable gift of your Son. Help us to see how we can give better this Christmas. Help us to see how we can give more like a Christian this Christmas and give in a way that truly honors the ultimate and greatest of all gifts. Father, I pray for those who've never received the gift, who've never turned from their sin and received Jesus as their Lord and their Savior and as the only one who can rescue them from their sin and the only one who can satisfy them in God fully and forever. I pray that you grant them grace to do that this day. And Father, for those of us who've already received Jesus, we pray that you prepare our hearts now to celebrate him as our great God and Savior, as the indescribable gift that you've given to us. Please prepare our hearts even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.